Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here. I uh, really liked Robert's song that he wrote. Did you guys like that? Robert Robert, uh, really sings from his heart. And uh, if you ever hear his testimony, listen to him, you'll know that he's got a lot to be thankful for. And he's just really trying to express that in his songs. And he's doing a good job. If you've been watching the news lately, you know that a lot of different things are going on. Uh, We're looking at a a world that's changing right before our eyes. We see a lot in the news today about riots in our country over certain things. Uh, A lot of things going on in the political world. And it seems like more and more, every time Congress meets and does something, we lose a little bit more of our freedom. And some choices are made that we don't always agree with. And we think sometimes that... uh, Maybe there's something more behind this than what we realize. We also live in a world where the cultural norms are changing right before our eyes. Things that used to be taboo or wouldn't be accepted are now being accepted and uh, thought of as pretty much mainstream. And why doesn't everybody agree with this or think this way? We look at the economy and we see that our nation continues to go in debt. And we know that one of these days that is going to come to you and... No telling what's going to happen when uh, in the future with the economy, and uh, hopefully the markets don't crash, things like that, jobs aren't lost. We're on the tail end of this um, pandemic. Uh, we, most of us are being vaccinated, and seems like there are less and less cases being reported, and so we're happy about that. There always seems to be attacks on religion, but there seems to be more and more of that happening today. Um, Christianity especially. We talked about this a week or two ago, about how the Christianity is being attacked more and more. And as a result of all this, people um, sometimes ask me and often make comments about just how bad things can get. You know, you think about this, just how bad can things get? And people that are looking and reading the Bible and con- considering the events of, of what's going on in relation to what the Bible teaches are asking questions like, well, is this the beginning of the end? Are we living in the days prior to the rapture of the church? Are we uh, close to that? And, and so forth. And one of the big questions that people ask oftentimes when situations like this occur is, you know, where is God? Where's God during all this time? And it seems as though Satan's just running amok, running unchecked, and nobody's stopping that. And things just keep seeming as though they're, they're spiraling down more and more. And we question, you know, okay, God, where are you? Where are you in all this, and why aren't you doing something? Well, let me just reassure you as we begin to get uh, started into this message today that, that God is still there. And God hasn't gone anywhere. And as a matter of fact, God told us in the Scripture that things like this would happen. This is the beginning of the end. Um, I don't know how much longer uh, or how much worse things have to get before the Lord says, that's enough and I'm coming and taking my church out of there. But I do know that one day it's going to happen. And I know that God has told us that there are certain things that are going to be occurring before that, and and just how bad it's going to get before those events begin to be set into motion and the church is taken out, I I don't know. I don't know how bad it will get or how bad God would allow it to get. I think, and personally, it's going to be a lot worse than what it is. We shouldn't be surprised 
therefore, based on what we know in Scripture, when things like this begin to occur. Now, we may not be surprised, but that doesn't stop us from becoming afraid. It doesn't stop us from uh, being filled with fear and uncertainty and all of these questions and wondering about what's going to happen to me and my family and my my job and uh, all of the things that we worry about, my health, everything that we are, are concerned about. And I, I can tell you from experience and I can tell you from the authority of the Scriptures that during times like this, when things are bad and things look bleak and uh, everything's happening that, uh, you know, you just shake your head out and can't think or believe that they're happening, when things like that begin to happen, the best and probably the only thing that we can do is to step back and begin to put our faith in the promises that God has made to us. Because during times like these, the only thing that we really have to stand on is the Word of God and the promises that God has given us. Um, today, what I want to do is this. I want to take you through a passage of Scripture. It's in Romans chapter 8. And I want to share with you five promises that are mentioned or come out of that a passage of Scripture, things that we are told that are true and real and things that we can rely on and trust in. And in what I'm asking of you and what I expect you to do is this. I want you to, whenever you're beginning to feel afraid and fearful and doubtful and all of the things that we're feeling at this time, and whenever you begin to question God, where are you and all of these things, and you begin to question whether God loves you and God cares about you and the, the natural things that come as a result of questions like that. I want you to go back into your scripture and I want you to begin to think through these promises. And there are so many promises in the scripture. I, these are not the only ones, but these are the ones that are found in this passage. And I want you to begin to be strengthened by the promises that God has said are true and whether you feel like it, whether the world around you, you know, harmonizes with what the Scripture says, none of that matters. I just want you to stand on what the Bible says. And I want your faith to be rekindled, and I want you to be reassured, and regardless of what is happening around you, to stand on those promises. The promises of Scripture are your birthright. They are there because of your faith in Jesus Christ that God has given you these promises as part of your birthright. When you were born again by faith in Christ, um, God said, these things are true of you. I give them to you. They are my gifts. They're blessings to you. And I, I want you to not only think of them in, in terms of theological truth, I want them to become part of your life. I want you to stand on them and rely on them and especially during hard times like this. So as we, we begin today, I'm going to jump right in here and uh, start with uh, the first one. That is, because I belong to Him, that's the name of this message today, because I belong to Him, these five things are true, and here they are. Number one, because I belong to Him, I can always count on God's power. God's power. I don't think we realize and understand as Christians the full potential of the power that is in us because of the Spirit of God. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that my Spirit comes and, and, and dwells you and lives in you. And you have access to the power of God. Let me read you this verse in, verse, uh, in Romans 8.31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
Now think about this, okay? If God says, I am on your side, I am in dwelling you, and I'm going to give you the power to be uh, an overcomer in this world, then who in the world can defeat you? Who in the world can come against you? You know, we look at all the things going around us, and we think to ourselves, well, look at these nutcases in Washington and these politicians. Boy, if they do this, this, and this, boy, that is just going to ruin the nation. It's going to hurt us and so forth. That's fine. But you know what? The power of God can change all that. It can happen overnight. And it doesn't matter what they do. Who can possibly defeat you? Them? No. Who could possibly defeat you? Some ideology that everybody's buying into and wanting to to make a part of this nation? Who would have ever thought? Who would have ever thought? that in this day and age we would be debating the benefits of socialism. Who would have ever thought that? But yet here we are. And there are politicians running on that platform that they want to change the whole fabric of the nation. But here we are. And, And is that possibly going to happen and defeat you? Well, it could happen, but it will not defeat you. All the civil unrest going on in this nation, we see it happening in some of the major cities in the nation. Is that going to bring the nation down? Is that going to defeat you? If things even get worse, will that defeat you? No, because the power of God says to you, you have the power within you to go through things like this. Is Satan going to get you? You know? We as believers, you know, we look at these things and we, know, and we know that there's something spiritual behind this. We know that it's more than just politics. We know that it's more than just uh, a nation of people wanting to throw off all of the norms of the past and live in sin. We know it's more than that. We know that there's something behind it. Well, is that going to defeat you? If if Satan begins to gather more and more and more uh, power and, and so forth in this country, more influence, is that going to defeat you as a believer? Listen to this verse. It's in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Here's what he says. He says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, I want you to notice what it's saying here, okay? You, dear children, talking to the believer, are from God, and you have already overcome all of this. All of this mess and everything we're talking about the satanic forces behind it, whatever, you have already overcome it. And here's how. Because the one that is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The power of God living in you through the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that because of the power of God that things can change overnight? That God can intervene in things in your life and in the life of our nation and everything can change overnight? Overnight, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're struggling with. But you see, here's where you have to back up and you begin to think through what God has said, that you have at your disposal power that the world doesn't understand. And that because of that power, that the situation in your life can change overnight. Because of the power of God, He enables you to endure more than you ever thought. Now this is important. Because I can't guarantee, and nobody can, that things aren't going to get worse, way worse, before things ever get better. How are you going to endure that? 
Well, the Bible says this, that because of the power of God living in you that I have promised you that is there for you, He can enable you to endure because you've already overcome this through your faith. You just don't quite understand it. The power of God can enable you to do more than you ever thought. And I think that the worse things get in our nation and the more perhaps the worse things get in your family or in your own particular situation, you're going to begin to realize and to experience and you're going to see that you can endure more, that you can do more than you ever thought possible. Well, where does that come from? The power of God. It's the power of God that strengthens you, that comforts you, that guides you. This is something that God has promised is available to each and every one of us. And we go to prayer and we ask the Lord and we say, Lord, we want this power of the Spirit to be evident in our lives and go before us and prepare the way and and change minds and change hearts. And it does. The problem is so often we just want things done a certain way in a certain time frame. And that doesn't always work because God is still sovereign. But God has said to you and me, I give you this power. It is there for your your use. And so, yeah, the world is going to change, but you have the power within you to go through it. And God will take you through it. Here's the second blessing or um, gift that God has given to us, and that is this, that, that because I belong to him, I can always count on God's provision. Now, all of these are going to start with P, just for your, that's, I, that's the preacher in me, okay? So it all starts with P, so that you can remember it. First one was power. The second one is God's provision. So because I belong to him, and let me state this clearly, okay? The things that I'm talking about today are things that are given to you, promises that are given to you as a believer, like I said before, your birthright. That doesn't mean that unbelievers have access to this. So I'm talking to you as a believer. And because you belong to him, you can always count on God's provision for you. The things that God gives you and the way in which God protects you and takes care of you. Romans 8, 32. Here's the next verse in our passage in Romans. Here's what he says. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? How will he not give you the things that you need in your life in view of the fact that he has already given you his own son. The logic is this. If God the Father sent his son to die for you because he cared about you, then why would he stop there? Why would he not also give you much more than that? Why would God not also provide for you the things that you need in this life? And this is the the provision that we're talking about. I think sometimes we all get angry. We'll get angry at God. We'll become uh, discouraged or disillusioned with God because it appears at times that God is indifferent to us. You know, we pray and we ask God for things and nothing happens and we can't figure out why. We just conclude that, you know what, it doesn't work. God may care about everybody else, but not me. And so God may give everybody else the things that they ask for and the things that they need, but God does not going to give it for me. 
And this is an important one because you and I need to understand that God provides for his children. Listen to this verse. It's in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. Here's what Paul said. He said, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now please understand and note the phrase, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ. He's going to supply all your needs. Now guys, you and I need to understand something. There is a difference between our needs and our wants. Okay? The promise of God is this, that I will take care of your needs. That doesn't mean every harebrained thing that you pray for or ask for or expect from God that God's going to give you because God is going to give you the things that you need and that he deems necessary. So please understand how this works. So God gives me the things that I need, not necessarily the things that I want. Now, you all, I've I've told you from time to time my history, my life story, things that have happened in my life. And some of you I've told so many times you're tired of hearing it. But let me tell you again, okay? So just listen. I can testify to God's faithfulness and how God has been faithful to me over the years of my life. As can many of you. You can testify that God has been so faithful to provide for you. His provision has just been overwhelming at times. Whenever we were living in Charlotte and were young, very young, um, God led us to go to Bible college. I had no idea where I was going to go after that or what I would ever do with that, that education. But we left and we went and piled everything into a car and a baby and uh, and just went. And every step of the way, God provided just what we needed. I worked in a grocery store bagging groceries and going to school. And we worked with, you know, we could take tips back then. They've stopped that now. But I would come home every day with just enough money, just what we needed. And there were people in the, in the college and administration who would give scholarships and people and friends that we knew that would send money and help us out. But we got through that. And coming to the end of that time there in, in Florida in, the, in Bible college, there was a guy that had graduated before me, and he called me up because he had heard that I wanted to go to seminary, but there was just no way. I mean, this, the bill for that now was going to jump astronomically. And um, moving out to Texas, I wanted to go to Dallas, and that was going to be something that, you know, was just beyond my faith. Well, he calls me up, and he says this. He says, now, Dave, he said, I know you're going to go to seminary, and you are going to need to be able to make a living. He said, I've been over here in Tampa, and I've started a business where I go to used car lots, and I repair vinyl cuts and seats and re-dye anything that's plastic or carpet. I mean, I can re-dye anything and vinyl tops. He said, it's a great business. You can make a great living. He said, it would be great for you to be able to do because you can do it in your own schedule and be able to go to school and do this too. And he talked to me about this several times, and I kept thinking, it sounds kind of, you know, iffy. So I said, look, I'll come over to Tampa. He said, come over here and work with me for a week. And um, if it's something you think you can do, then I'll show you how to do it. So I did. And sure enough, I went over week after week, stayed with him and his wife and their children, and learned how to do the business. When I moved out to Texas, 
I'll never forget, we came into Texas, and I stayed with a friend out here. Deborah was still back in Florida with the kids. And from the very first day, I started making money in that business. I, that business carried us all the way through seminary. And during that time, Deb, you know, one of the things we prayed for and asked God for was just that we don't have to, she doesn't have to go to work, you know, so that we can raise the kids. And so we didn't want her to get locked into a, an office job or something where she had to keep a schedule. So, she, you know, she would clean houses when she had the opportunity when the kids were at Mother's Day out or something and do things. We had a paper route. The kids and, and Deb would get in this little Volkswagen and go around on Sunday morning sometimes before church and throw out papers, and we did that. And it's like every single thing that we needed, God provided. You know, we, it wasn't extravagant by any means. But God provided my needs. There came a time where we needed a vehicle, and we were looking to buy a vehicle. Guy calls us up, takes us out to dinner. He says, here, you drive, and this is beautiful Cadillac. He said, now it's yours. I said, you've got to be kidding me. I said, I'm in seminary. If I drive a Cadillac, they're going to think I'm a TV evangelist or something. You know, I can't do that. Well, we asked him if we could sell the Cadillac and use it to buy a, a house. So we put a down payment on a house and bought our first home. When we got ready to leave and go to uh, to uh, Indiana to take our first church, um, we were out there on a car lot looking because we were going to have to have a new car and we, and we needed a van. So we were going to buy a van. And there we are. And the one we wanted, I'll never forget, it was a red van, low miles, good price. They said, go get the keys. We're going to buy this one. They can't find the keys. They look and they look and they look. Somebody went home with the keys and they didn't have spares. And the guy's apologizing. We're standing out there for half an hour waiting on these guys to come up with the keys. About that time, some friends of ours from church come up in a white Chrysler town and country, the wood grain on the side. I said, what are you guys doing here? They said, we're looking to buy and trade and get a new car. They said, what are you doing? And we said, well, we're doing the same thing. We're getting ready, waiting on the keys. We're going to buy this van. He said, don't do that. He said, I was going to give you this one. I said, you got to be kidding. He said, no. He said, we'd already talked about it. We're going to trade it in. I don't want to mess with the trade in value. He said, I'm going to give it to you. Poor salesman comes back, finally found the keys, you know. I said, no, nah, never mind. They're going to give us this one. And so, you know, we took, we took that van to, in, to uh, Indiana and drove that thing for years. It was, it was wonderful. Um, you know, the financial support that has come our way over the years when we were in school and in need, one of the things that we worried about as we grew older was being able someday to retire. You know, you're in ministry. You're not going to get rich, and you don't do it for the money. And so we were concerned about, well, what are we going to do? About five years before we came up, uh, came down to here to Texas, um, to to Athens, um, a gal in the church up there, Deborah was working for her. And she had a real estate company, and she told Deborah, she said, "You need to be an agent." So she, Deborah, went and studied and got her license and all that stuff and made a little money when she comes down here and be able to start her own business and we're able financially to finally come to a point where we can retire because of that and you look back over all those years and 
and just see how God provided. Not excessively. I could have prayed for a whole lot more, as you could too. But God always gave me what I needed. Now, guys, there will come a time, and maybe for some of you it already is there, where would be it because of the decisions in Washington or just your own personal struggles in your own life, you're going to need things, be it money or be it something with your family, whatever. You're, you're just going to need something. And the promise you're going to have to stand on is this, that my God is going to supply all your needs. And you've got to believe that. You see, you've got to believe it. Because the Bible says it, because you're his child and he's committed to you. And he says, because you are mine, I will provide for you. I cannot stand here and tell you how. I cannot stand here and tell you that you're going to be rich. I'm not a Joel Osteen, you know. I'm not going to tell you that God's going to make you rich because he won't. Unless he chooses to. But I can tell you that God will provide for you. I can tell you that God will meet your needs. And I can tell you that because of these verses like this that tells us over and over and over again through the Bible that I'll meet your needs and I'll take care of you. So when you're in, a, in trouble, be it financially or otherwise, you're going to have to stand on something like this and you're going to have to be convincing yourself and telling yourself on a regular basis that this is what the Bible says and this is what God's going to do. Enough on that one. I'm crying, I don't want to do that. So let's move on. Number three is this, the third of the, the blessings and the promises that God has given is this. Because I belong to Him, I can always count on God's protection. I can always count on God protection, protecting me. Now this one's a little bit, um, it's going to require a little explanation because you're sitting there thinking to yourself, wait a minute. I know somebody, or maybe I've personally gone through a horrific event in my life. Horrible, horrible time in my life. And I was sitting there wondering, well, God, where are you? And you're going to sit here and tell me that God protects me? Because I've got to tell you something, Pastor. I didn't seem like he was protecting me too much then. And so I'm not too sure I believe this. Well, it's true. You know, you look back through the Scripture and you look at the great men and women of Scripture and how that God dealt in their lives and the things that God did in their lives, and you see how God protected them. Now, have you ever noticed in, in a lot of the Old Testament uh, stories where God in, first comes into their life, He says, the first thing He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Why? Because they were scared to death. And you're sitting there, and you may be in that situation, but just let me remind you of some of these very quickly, okay? Some examples where God's protection is displayed for us in the Old Testament. Job is a classic example. For example, this. You know the story of Job, and Job was very wealthy and, and all of these. And in the Bible, the story portrays it this way, that Satan comes to God and basically is asking permission to, to attack Job because he couldn't otherwise. Why? Because God had a hedge of protection around Job. The same fence, wall, protection that is around each and every one of us. You've got to believe this. 
But God said, okay. Because I want Job to be tested, and I will consent to this. And please understand, Satan could do nothing unless God gave him permission. And that's still true today. So God said, you can do whatever you want, but you cannot touch him. You cannot affect it. You cannot take his life. I will not allow you to kill him. And so he took everything Job had, his family, his wife, down to his health as he sat there in boils, scratching. And all of it goes through the whole book of Job until finally God is trying to get Job to see that, you know what, you're a little bit arrogant and you need to be humbled. And that was the reason, partially at least, why he went through this. But in the end, God restores everything that he had and uh, God blesses him richly. But the point is this, that even when Job was sitting in the heap with boils all over him and had lost everything he had, God still had a hedge around him. You see, God's still protecting him. Now, this is important because you and I have to understand that when I talk to you about God's protection, that does not mean that there won't be times when you get bloodied up. Okay? That's part of God's plan for you. You know, he told the disciples, he said, you're going to have trouble in this world and you're, you're going to die a martyr's death for me and all of the stuff that he told them, and they did. He said, but I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. I'll give you power. And he does. Story after story. Look at Noah. God protected that man through that terrible ordeal of the flood when he and only his family survived. They were in that ark for over a year. It only rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but they didn't get off that boat for a year. How? God had his hand around that ark, and God protected him, just like he does you and me. Same with Joshua. Led the Israelites into the land of Canaan to take that land, and they fought for six or seven years to take that land. They still didn't completely take it, but nonetheless, God told Joshua, said, I will protect you. I will guard you. And you know what? People died, but God said, I've still got you protected. Only The only thing that gets through the hedge of protection is what I allow. And that's what you've got to understand. Gideon. 300 men against thousands, and yet they won. Why? Because God had this hedge of protection to protect them. Daniel, my gosh, hauled off at the age of 16 to Babylon to be put in bondage, thrown into the lion's den and all the other horrific things that happened to him, and yet God protected him every step of the way. Elisha, the great prophet of God, surrounded by an army one time, and his servant beside him says, Okay, what are we going to do now? God, and, and, and Elisha prays to God. He says, Lord, let him see what I see. And God opened his eyes to see the angel armies all around him. Why? Because God was protecting him. And like I said, guys, you may get bloodied and beat up and battered. But God is always protecting you because no matter what you experience in this life, be it as horrific as we can possibly think, God says, I only allow what I allow into your life, and I've got you covered. And I've got to believe that if God allows something into my life, then it's for a reason, and you and I need to learn from it and grow from it and change. 
but his protection is always there. This is one of the promises that he gives us. And even against satanic attacks, let me show you these verses before we move on. Watch this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 33, he says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Now, please understand the verse, okay? He's saying this, Paul is saying, Look, who's going to bring a charge against one of God's children? Nobody can charge them with anything because God justified them. You know what that means? It means that God declared them righteous. That's what justification is, to be declared righteous even when you're not. And so this is the point. And in, in what you're going to see in the next verse, I'll show you in a moment, he's alluding to the fact that the accuser is always making charges against us, the Satan. Guys, he's not telling lies. Satan is not going to go before God, which he does on a daily basis, and bring an accusation against you that isn't true because God knows that it's a lie. It would be foolishness and waste of time. He doesn't have to. All he needs to do is bring the truth. Did you see your servant so-and-so? See, that's what he did with Job. Your servant Job, he wouldn't love you and serve you if you didn't guard him the way you do. Did you see old Pastor Dave, the things that he's done? And each and every time, this is what Paul's getting at, Satan cannot bring a charge against you that will stick because God says, I've declared him righteous. Well, is it true what he did? Uh, Yeah, he did it. And God says, you know what? I'm not going to charge him with anything because I declared him innocent and righteous. And it's like Satan has nothing at that point to bring against you because it won't stick. Now watch these verses. In Revelation, we're going to go all the way to the end now, okay? All the way to the end of the Scriptures. And this is what it says in Revelation 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Messiah. Now watch. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Now here's here's the, the context here, okay? Satan has access to heaven. You may not be aware of that, but he does. He has access to God in heaven. In the end, now the Revelation is looking at this, the tribulation period. In the end, God says, that's enough. No more. And the one that it, the Bible says accuses us before God day and night is finally cast out of heaven, hurled down. But the point is that he's doing it now. Paul said, who in the world is really going to bring an accusation against you that's going to stick? You can't do it because God has already declared you righteous. So Satan comes and he tells the truth. He says, yeah, that Pastor Dave, here's what he did. Some servant he is. God says, yeah, that's, you know, he did it. But I've already declared him righteous. He put his faith in Jesus Christ. The blood has covered his sin and he has been justified or declared righteous. If you have put your faith in Christ Jesus, you have been justified, declared righteous. 
there's no accusation that will stick against you. It can't be done. Now, guys, listen to me. I don't know what's going to happen over the next five or ten years in this country or in your life or in your family, but this thing I do know, okay, based upon the authority of God's Word, God protects His own. He protects His own. And God will take care of you. And it may at times be bloody and painful, but God will take care of you. And here's the great thing. According to the Scripture, you've already won You've already won. You and I have got to believe that. See, this is why I'm telling you that when things are going bad in your life, then you've got to back up and begin to regroup and think, okay, these are the promises. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what God has said. I've got to stand on that. So when you're scared to death, you don't want to face the future. You don't know what's going to happen next. You've got to stand on this fact that God's going to protect me. Bruised and battered I may be, but he will protect me. And that you'll have to rest upon. Here's the fourth one. We've got to move quick. I'm running long, okay? Because I belong to him, I can always count on God's pardon. On his pardon. Now this one goes with the one before it because verses 33 and 34 kind of go together. And let me read verse 34 for you. Romans 8, 34. Paul said this. He said, Who then is the one who condemns? Now condemn basically is different than bringing an accusation. Who is going to, who in the one is going to carry out the, the penalty? Who's going to be able to carry out the penalty and bring somebody to condemnation? That's the question. He says, nobody, no one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Now catch this, because we're looking at a pardon here, okay? He says, okay, it's like you're being in a court of law. And you might bring the accusation, you might bring the charges against somebody. God says you can't do that, really. But then he goes on, he says, and then if you did, who's going to carry it out? Who's going to bring the condemnation or the sentencing upon this person? Because if you're in a court of law and you, you need to understand that you can't do it simply because that the son is sitting at the right hand of the father, and if anybody brings an accusation and wants to condemn you for something, all that the father does is look over to the son. The son says, it's covered by my blood. Now, whether that literally takes place all the time, I don't know, or whether it's just to, uh, to, to convey the fact that this is a reality, I don't know. But he's always interceding for you. Nobody can bring something against you. Nobody can touch you. You have been pardoned. You have been forgiven. You have been justified. That's a promise. We stand on that. We believe it. 1 John 2.1 says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's our advocate. He's our, he pleads our case. I don't know about you, but that brings me a great deal of comfort because sometimes we have this image of God that God is very unbending and unyielding. It's like um, this is the rule. You better stick to it and toe the line or else. 
But yet the Bible teaches that God the Father in His righteousness defers to His Son in His grace. And the Son of God pleads our case. And we've been pardoned. Let's see. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins. One time He died. That was all. But that's all that was needed. The righteous for the unrighteous. Him, the righteous for you and me. It says to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. Why did he die? Why did he die? To bring you to the Father. You have been pardoned. And it's as if God or or Jesus walks you into the presence of God and sits you down and says, this is now one of yours because he is fully pardoned. He is justified. He is forgiven. And we get so uptight and worried about life and whether we're good enough and whether God has rejected us or whatever. And you need to understand what the Bible teaches. That by faith you have been pardoned. Very quickly, here's the last one. Because I belong to Him, I can always count on God's presence. I can always count on God's presence. Okay, I'm going to read for you the remainder of this passage I've got here. Verses 35 through 39 in Romans 8. Watch. This whole idea of God's presence and His love go hand in hand. We have this fear that somehow God will stop loving me and cast me aside. This is what Paul is dealing with now. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Okay, here's what he's saying. He's quoting a passage out of the Old Testament there. But he's saying this. He said, if you are in being killed by the sword, does that mean that God doesn't love you? Does that mean that God's cast you aside out of his presence? No. He said, if you are struggling with famine, does that mean that God doesn't love you and that he's cast you aside out of his presence? Well, of course not. All of these things, he goes down through this list. He says, if this is true of you and you are thinking to yourself and saying, God doesn't love me, he has cast me aside, then you need to understand something, that that's not true. And the Old Testament statement here is just saying, this is what has happened to us. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered by the people around us. But God never forsook me. God never stopped loving me. Look at the next couple of verses, and then we'll call it a day. In verse 37, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, gosh. Don't miss that, okay? He goes down through there and he hits on everything that you have doubts about. 
the present or the future. Some of you are, 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 are all involved in something that may be sinful and you are wondering right now or you're going to be someday involved in something and you're going to wonder if somewhere down the line God just might cast me aside. God just might not let me be in his presence and he may not love me anymore. And Paul said this, he said, let me tell you something. Height, depth, east, west, as far as you can think, demons, Satan, Sin in the now, sin in the future, whatever. You need to understand something. You will never, ever get to the point in life where your God stops loving you. And Robert sat here and sang about grace today. Uh, all I can rely on is grace. Guys, that's what it boils down to. None of us in here today deserve God's presence. We don't deserve God's blessing whatsoever. But it's ours because of the grace of God and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, and this is taught elsewhere in the Bible, that God is so faithful to you that that is the reason why you serve Him. Now watch this, okay? Listen. Everything that we do as Christians is in response to His love. It is not the cause of His love. you understand that? Everything that I do for him, be it preach the gospel or love somebody or teach a class or minister to somebody, everything we do is in response to his love for us. John said that we love him because he first loved us. The world sometimes gets it turned around and they'll say that God will love you if you serve him. God will love you if you do this. God will love you if you do that. And I want you to understand something, that the promise of God is his presence. He's always there because he loves you, and nothing can ever separate you from that. Guys, this is grace. Every promise that God has given us is because of his grace, and you and I need to believe that. We need to stand on it. So just a reminder, remember remember these promises. Remember that his Power is there for you. That's his promise. His provision, he will always provide for you to take care of your needs. His protection is there. His pardon is yours. And his presence is always there. You have to stand on it. See, that's up to you. You have to believe the promises. You have to believe what the Bible teaches. And that's my prayer for you, that you do that. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Christ or understand what that's about, please understand. Everything that I've talked to you about today is talking about what God has done for you, and it's all about what God has done for you. You're a sinner, my friend. You may not believe it, you may not like it, but you are, because God says you don't measure up to me, talking about him. But it also says that he loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for you. And that if you'll put your faith in that payment, that sacrifice, that Savior, that he gives to you as a free gift, eternal life. And that's yours forever and for good. Will you do it? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. Right now where you sit, nobody knows what you're thinking but God. Nobody knows what you've been doing but God. Nobody knows your sin but God. So what you're going to determined in the next few minutes is simply between you and the Lord. First of all, you need to understand that you're a sinner. 
Secondly, you need to understand that Jesus died to pay for your sin. And third, you put your faith in it. You trust Him. You're basically saying to God, Lord, take my wrath or your wrath on me, what I, what I, which should be mine, and I claim the wrath that you poured out on your Son. I claim the substitute. I'm trusting in Him. I'm believing it. And God says, the gift is yours. That's grace. Our Heavenly Father, I bow here before you this morning. And Father, we are humbled because we sometimes look at the things around us that are falling apart and we doubt you. And forgive us. And Father, I pray for each one of us that we would begin to stand on the promises that are there in your word. And when life begins to get so tough that we don't understand or or remember whether you loved us or what, Lord, may we stand on those promises and believe that you are our God and that we are your children. Father, reassure us with your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.